Bye-bye. Again, thanks to Vance for speaking. We were able last Sunday morning to tune in as we were out of town. Great message on being prepared to give witness for our faith. How we all need to be reminded of the grand truth contained in that message. For those of you perhaps that are listening and watching via the internet, we do welcome you this morning and along with the congregation, turn with me to begin with the Psalm 96. Psalm 96. Several messages now uh, about the controversial Christ and one of the controversies that uh, he encountered was about worship. And so we spent a number of weeks. In fact, we're going to spend a number of more weeks. I started, I made a mistake of opening a new book this week. And so I'm going to use some of that uh, over these next few weeks. I found out, it's always interesting to read something other than the internet, all God's people said. That's good. That's, that's fair. But if you uh, open uh, good books and you start to read them, you find out uh, just how much you don't know. And in reading this particular book, uh, I read that the word worship is found in the book of Revelation more than any other book in the Bible. So on Easter Sunday morning, we're going to focus on it. found 24 times, by the way. So this morning we're going to continue to look at uh, instructive worship of the incarnate Christ and carry this through to Easter Sunday morning. Um, it is woefully missing in our churches today. It's woefully missing in our lives today, my life. So the psalmist in Psalm 96, and I'm going to read the entire psalm, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonder among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. 
the judge of the hearts of men. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. And he shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. What a remarkable song. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will begin to look at Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace this morning. Remind us that we are here to worship the Lord. That's our sole purpose this morning. And so we pray that we would, by spirit, your spirit, that unites with our spirit, and by the truth, which we've just read about, the beauty of truth, that believers would be drawn closer to you and sinners would be drawn to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us worship God. The Bible doesn't say let us be comfortable. Nor does it say let us be entertained. Nor does it say let us be satisfied. It says let us worship the Lord. First slide. Brother Jeff, if you would. John Calvin, great Swiss reformer. Actually, he was French, but he spent most of his life in Geneva in Switzerland, wrote this. To what end is the preaching of the word, the sacraments, the holy congregation themselves, and indeed the whole external government of the church, except that we might be united to God? Now, worship can be secret. We have read in your hearing in a couple of places, Psalm 81.7, which reads, You call in trouble, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you with the waters of Meribah. Selah. Now, that's a Hebrew word for meditate. Stop and think is a good way to translate that word. Stop and think. <coughs> Worship is, as Jonathan Gibson wrote, the right, fitting, and delightful response of moral beings. And every one of us this morning are moral beings. Not your dogs, not your cats, not your pets. Only human beings are moral beings. Both angelic and human. We are to worship and respond to God the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Consummator. And that's what we've read here in Psalm 96, among other things. For he who has one eternal God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we worship the Trinity. We have spent a number of weeks looking, looking at uh, one thing in particular, that true worship is based on reason. In other words, it's rational. Because our minds are engaged 
in worship. And I trust that your mind is this morning. Your heart will not be moved if your mind is not engaged. If your mind is distracted, your heart's not going to be moved. And we've read from Psalm, excuse me, from Proverbs 23. We studied and preached from Romans 12, 1 and 2, and also Philippians 2 and verse 5. We've read these in your hearing over these past few weeks. So the first thing about worship is that, is that it is based on reason. It's not the only thing, but it certainly is based on reason. And then the second thing is that true worship must be in spirit and in truth. And with that in mind, turn with me to John chapter 4. This is one of those controversies. Most of us do not like controversy. Some people like to be polemic, but most people don't. And this, of course, is a beautiful story of Jesus and his encounter with the woman at the well. We're never told her name, by the way. We're just told that she's a Samaritan. Uh, and in verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. And Messiah is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus defines one of the elements, or actually two of the elements, of true worship. It must be moved, we must be moved upon by the Spirit of God. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a participant in worship here. But worship from the heart is only applicable to born-again believers. People may say they worship, but if they don't know the Lord, who do they worship? The Samaritans, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, they were a mixed race. We've looked at a number of different passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. Of course, this one here in the New Testament. They were descended from the Israelites and uh, immigrants from Mesopotamia. They were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, spent a great deal of time in Assyria, and then the Babylonians captured uh, Assyria as well as Judah. And so a mixed race of individuals, half-breeds is the way the Jews would, would refer to them as. So yes, they were racist. Now they accepted the Pentateuch of the first five books of the Bible, but they rejected the prophets and the Psalms. And as I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, how in the world do you worship? We just read a psalm, chock-a-block full of references to worship. How do you worship without the Psalms? So this woman has no clue. Not only that, but the overwhelming majority of Samaritans had no clue. They ignored and were ignorant of 34 books in the Old Testament. Some people today still do this very same thing. Thomas Jefferson, 
fellow Virginian, founder of the University of Virginia, third president of the United States, primary author of the Declaration of Independence. Didn't like a lot of what he read in the Bible, so he came up with the Jefferson Bible and, and eliminated a good portion of the New Testament, especially those references here in the Gospel of John that refer to Jesus' divinity. Their worship, the Samaritans, was neither in spirit or truth. So the woman said that we worship, but Jesus said, no, you don't. So he confronted her. Next slide. He talks about spirit and truth. And he, is, he mentions this because, first of all, it's true. It's a beautiful truth contained here that he's teaching. But it also balances you and I, the Imago Dei. The, you, we are created in the image of God. And so we need a balance in our life. It's not just our spirit. It's not just an overt enthusiasm. Watching a ball game or watching children in sports or watching grandchildren in sports or whatever that may be. It's not overt enthusiasm. It's not just truth. We read about truth in Psalm 96. We read about it here. Truth, sometimes people describe it as a cold or a dead orthodoxy. But it is both a heart and soul passion that is moved by awe. Did we not see a great deal of that in Psalm 96? Heart and soul passion moved with awe that is based on God's revealed truth. That's where the ration comes, the rational nature comes in, and that's where the truth comes in. You continue in the psalm, Psalm 47, 7. Sing praises with understanding. Not just sing praises. Have some background of why you are singing praises. We know, she said, the Messiah is coming. We know he's coming. We don't know where he is. Have some understanding. All worship is based on truth. And it demands some knowledge. Now, it doesn't demand exhaustive knowledge. If that were the case, none of us would ever be born again. But it does require some knowledge. And when we're born again, it requires that our knowledge be expanded. There needs to be some understanding of God's nature. Now, again, <laughs> we will never plumb the depths of the nature of God. Even in eternity, we'll never plumb that depth. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Move, a move to worship. Romans, Paul wrote chapter 1, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, what was Paul praying for? We go on, we'll find in chapter 1 of the book of Romans that we studied at length. But when we 
proceed through chapter 1, Paul is praying that they have a knowledge of Jesus. He's not praying for their illnesses. He's praying that their spirits move to an understanding of God's nature. And without that, we're not going to be able to worship. Every Sunday morning when we come to the Lord's house, Sunday evening, Sunday school, whatever, we should be moved to worship. And we ought to leave here saying, I learned something new this morning. I hope you can say that. I learned something new this morning as I read this week about the 24 references of the word worship in the book of Revelation. I've been preaching and teaching for over 50 years. I didn't know that. Learn something new. Verse 22, Jesus detects the woman's broad concept of worship as ignorance. Now, thankfully, ignorance can be solved. However, there are a lot of people that don't want to have their ignorance solved. They like remaining in ignorance. Jesus also defines worship as predicated upon salvation. Ma'am, he says, it's not the mountain, it's not the place of worship, not garrison. That's not important. A couple of weeks ago we talked about this. It's the fact that you do not know the person. Well, Messiah is coming, but we don't have a clue who it is. Why is that? Because you have ignored 34 books of the Old Testament. The Gospel of John was not written when this took place. John's not writing this as he's watching Jesus talk to this woman at the well. So salvation, he said, is of the Jews. Now, why is it of the Jews? Because it is found in the Old Testament. It's not the place. He said, you don't know the person. And therefore, you're lost. And therefore, you're not worshiping. Now, in verse 23, he interrupts. He interrogates and he initiates the conversation. Vance preached about this last Sunday morning. He initiates the conversation about God's redemptive plan. And notice what he says. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. A few weeks ago, we looked at that from Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. But the God the Father is seeking those in spirit and in truth to worship him. Not just to save them. To worship him. We're saved because God seeks people to worship him. More important than service or ministry is worship. And while these are not uh, unimportant, worship is not what we receive. 
It's what we get. We read that in Psalm 96, talking about the animals, talking about trees, talking about the plains, talking about people. It's what the earth should resound with. It's what the universe should resound with. Psalm 103 goes on further to say that all the morning stars sang with joy, which is a reference to the stars, also a reference to the angelic choir. So God has worshipers in heaven, and we are negligent if we don't worship him on earth. It's not what we receive. It's what we give. Next slide. The hour is coming, he says. Now, this is not the literal hour. Okay, you look at your watch or whatever, and the same with... Within an hour, I'm going to be here. No, this is a reference to, see, when we look at time in the Bible, it can be anywhere from minutes to days to weeks to eons, depending on the word that is used. And he says the hour is coming. There is going to be a change. And notice what he says, it now is. It's before you. It's here. You worship in Gerizim, that's ignorant worship. Worship in Jerusalem, that is going to change. Why? Because Jesus is here. So there's a play on words as we look at this particular verse. Notice the Father is seeking such to worship him. Worship is shifted, Jesus said, from Mount Zion, that's the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, to Jesus. Jesus is God seeking the worship of God. So what the Father declared, Jesus reiterates because he's the God-man, and he says, ma'am, you ought to worship me. What an astounding, truthful statement. The hour is now here because the Savior is here. The Messiah is here. Christ is here. And he is the way to the Father. And the Father is seeking worshipers. And I am seeking worshipers. Lady, are you going to be one of those worshipers? Flat Creek, are we going to be the worshipers of Jesus called the Christ? The Savior came, the latter part of John 3, he said, to save, not to condemn. Because he previously had said, if you believe not, you are condemned already. I don't have to condemn you. You lie in your sins and your sins condemn you. We come together corporately to focus on God, the triune God. 
to worship him alone. He is to be worshiped as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also he is to be worshiped as the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's one of the remarkable things about worship. It doesn't depend on us. Worship continues in heaven, where there is no time, by the way, has continued in God's heaven eternally. There is no time with God. That's hard for us to fathom because everything we do, we just sang a birthday, happy birthday to Mr. Logan. Uh, March has a, has a lot of wonderful people that have birthdays. All God's people said? Some of you don't. Well, I'm sorry for you, okay? Especially one on March 1st, anyway. We don't understand how God can be transcendent from time, but he is. That's what scripture said. It doesn't depend on what, worship doesn't depend on what it does for me. Our, whether we're satisfied with being in the Lord's house or not, that doesn't work, depend on me. Worship doesn't substitute subjective affection for objective truth. We come to give to God, to worship him, despite our physical state. Now, the Lord loves this woman and his desire, and he, she does, she becomes a believer. She subscribes. Now, she, she didn't know anything about or much about, rather, the Messiah from what she had learned, but she did remember that there was a promise made in Genesis 3 and other places in the first five books that she recall, and the Spirit of God used that in standing in front of her as the Messiah, and she received the faith of God's Spirit combined with the truth of God's Word. Psalm 51, David. In fact, let's turn back there. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's uh, confession, his repentance of, uh, of the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. And he doesn't write this until the boy child that was born to Bathsheba died. The Lord took the child from David and Bathsheba. And so he writes this as a repentance of that before the Lord. And look at verses 15 through 17. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. It was not until David wrote this particular psalm that he went back into 
the tabernacle to worship. He was far from God. And yet, God moved in his heart, son of prophet, to tell him the truth. David, you're the man that has caused the problem in Israel. It's not Bathsheba. It's not your children. You are the man. And David immediately was convicted. It's one of the great things about the grace of God. Conviction is a marvelous and beautiful truth. And he writes this marvelous and beautiful song that we have here. You see, David understood the necessity of humility and of heart and spirit. Question is, do we? Do we understand that? Or are we so haughty that we are mired in our self-righteousness? David was for a while until the prophet stood before him. Stephen Charnock, Puritan, wrote, Without the heart, it is no worship. It's a stage play. It is playing the hypocrite. We, not, uh, we may truly be said to worship God, though we lack perfection. But we cannot be said to worship God if we lack sincerity. So all earthly worship lacks perfection. But true earthly worship will not lack sincerity. Worship, then, is contingent on both spirit and truth. Our spirit suffers if we ignore the truth of the Word of God. And truth suffers if we ignore the knowledge of the holy. Turn with me to Proverbs 30. We read a few, uh, some of this a few weeks ago, but I just want to reiterate this again. The Proverbs, and we've been going through the Proverbs for a number of years now on Sunday morning with the Old Testament um, memorization. And Psalms, thir uh, excuse me, Proverbs 30, I reminded you that uh, the words of uh, Agur, uh, verse 1, uh, his utterance, and this man declared to Ithiel and to Eucal, Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield of those who put their trust in him. The knowledge of the holy. And that should be the purpose for us to be here this morning, is to have our understanding washed by the Spirit so that our knowledge of the holy increases. Next slide, if you would, brother. Spurgeon said, why is it that some people are often in a place of worship, yet they're not holy? Is it because they neglect their closets? Or it is because, rather, they neglect their closets. They love the wheat, but they don't want to grind it. They would have the corn, but they will not go forth into the field to gather it. 
The fruit hangs on the tree, but they won't pluck it. And the water flows at their feet, but they'll not stoop to drink it. It's here. And often, the fact that many do not worship is because they don't know Jesus. They have no knowledge of the holy. God seeks worshipers, and he seeks those that he saves to worship. And my responsibility is to proclaim the truth of the word of God and in the power of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. It's your charge to worship. Mine to worship. As I preach, I'm to worship. As I study, obviously, I'm to worship. But without Christ, we can't worship. It is not that we don't worship. It's that we can't worship. Again, Sharnock said, to pretend homage to God and intend only the advantage to myself is rather to mock God than to worship him. When we believe we ought to be satisfied rather than God glorified, we set God below ourselves and imagine that he should submit his own honor to our advantage. And yet millions of people have no doubt perform this way with a, an understanding that they are worshiping. When in fact, as Jesus told the woman at the well, no, you're not. You have a counterfeit. You don't have the cross. Now, it's not only our spirit that worships, but it's the Holy Spirit who prompts us to worship. He does this rationally by moving the mind and he does it emotionally by moving the heart through the truth of who God is. The beautiful truth that Jesus himself is talking about in John chapter 4. Next slide if you would brother. Now, Philippians 3 tells us, as Paul was writing, for we are the circumcision, we are the true believers who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. You see, the woman and Nicodemus, we looked at him last Sunday morning, they place their confidence in their flesh. Well, we've done this and this. We've done what the fathers told us to do. I'm doing what my mom and dad told me, my granny and granddaddy told me, so therefore I know the Lord. But Jesus said, no, you don't. You see, confidence in the flesh respects human nature. And human nature is always self-centered. How am I going to protect myself from this? The Holy Spirit prompted God worship, or yeah, prompted worship will be God-centered. It's not anthropos-centered. It's not man-centered. It is God-centered. So 
I hope this morning that you enjoy the presence of God as we learn together. When we enjoy the presence of God, as we read in Psalm 96, it is a part of worship. What matters, again, is not the place. It's not a building. It's not the noun. But the people of God built an adjective, or it can be a verb as well, on the cornerstone of the head. So Jesus said, I the stand before you am the Christ. I'm he. Paul would take this later, and in his epistles he would write a number of times, six times in the book of Ephesians and Colossians. We're studying Colossians in our Sunday school class. He's the head of the church, which means we are here this morning being directed because Jesus has sought worshipers to worship him because he deserves the worship. He's the head. Ephesians 4 says that we mature in sound doctrine and learning to speak the truth in love. We are able to grow up. Grow up. In every way unto into him who is the head into Christ. It's basically what the Lord told Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you need to grow up. You need to understand what you're teaching. You've not done that. Ephesians 5, and we use this quite often in our in weddings. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, which comprises the church and is himself its Savior. Why do we worship? Because he's the head. He directs. He tells us. He instructs what we are to do doesn't leave it to us. We're going to find out over the next few weeks how detailed this worship was in the Old Testament and how Christ set aside most everything in the Old Testament, as the book of Hebrews says, because he is the Messiah. Colossians 2, we're in that chapter now, the Lord is teaching, Christ is called the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So I challenge you this morning, if you're here today, you know the Lord as your Savior, but you're resistant to be in a congregation of people, or for one reason or another you have because of age, or because of lack of age, because of lack of knowledge, whatever. You're resistant to be with the people of God, there's an issue. Plain and simple. Jesus was with his disciples in all of their warts and sins unto the end. He commissioned them to go forth. Next slide. In fact, I think I have that on the next slide. Christ is the head of the church in the sense that he is the one who stands over it. He's the sense of being the basis for the existence of the church. No Christ. If in this life only we have uh, uh, Christ or we believe in the resurrection, Paul would write, we are a miserable people. Let us not be miserable Christians, miserable believers. 
Christ is the basis of the church's existence. He's the source of its life, and he is its authoritative ruler. It's hard for Americans. It's hard for people, period. Now, what this means is that every church, Flat Creek, what it means, every church, regardless of its polity, that's church government. We have a congregational church government here. That's not the only one found in the New Testament, by the way, but it's a good one. Regardless of its church government, it's ultimately a Christocracy. Christ within us spiritually. Jesus is the Lord and head of every true church. There are many churches that are not true, but every true church, honestly believe Flat Creek is a true church. Not because I'm its pastor, but because over years I have seen the change in my life, seen change in your life. It's a good thing. This truth rightly understood guides churches in addressing the church's internal affairs. It determines the church's mission and it instructs us in worship because Christ is the head of the church. What is the church's mission? Well, he gave the church the Great Commission. We know about that. In Matthew 28, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. <clears throat> all nations. Not just Americans. All nations. The Lord is bringing multitudes of people into America that have never been exposed to the gospel. Legally, illegally, this is not for a matter of discussion right now. It's just the fact that they are coming here. Why are they coming here? So that they may be exposed to the gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. He is its authoritative rule. I command you to do this. You don't get to vote on it in a, as a congregation. Now, Mola said the church is his eternal people. And it is the church that will stand invaluably forever, not a parachurch organization. All such parachurch structures have to serve the church, to be accountable to the church, show their worth in that service, faithfulness to the church, and every single one of them will one day pass away. Everything outside of the church, parachurch, for example, we used to be Campus Crusade for Christ, they got embarrassed about the word crusade, so they just shortened it to crew. And others, many, many others. That's not the church. This is the church. And every single one of them will pass away. But not Christ's church. Is it made up of people that are born again? Yes. But their allegiance should be to a local church and then their support perhaps may be in that parachurch organization. Christ is the head of 
the church, and he is to be worshipped. Next slide. Two points here. Understanding this and applying this humbling truth. We don't want anyone over us. You're not the boss of me. Understanding this and applying this humbling truth that worship is primarily within the Lord's house is vital to spiritual worship. Go with me to Psalm 122. We'll close with this this morning. I was glad, verse 1, when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel. That is, this particular point in time, David obviously was king. He was writing this. And this is the place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. The temple had not been built at this point in time. Didn't make any difference. They were to worship. It's not the place. It's the person. He says, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment. The throne of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls. Prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. What flows from worship is the care and compassion that God distributes to his children to take care of his church, to take care of those within the church that cannot take care of themselves. That's what flows from worship. The Lord did not have to create the world. We're going to see that and start to look, look uh, next Sunday morning on um, worship on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> but the Lord had no need to create the universe. No. He wasn't prompted because he was lonely. God has no need. The aseity of God has no needs. And yet he did. So that you and I might be born again to worship him and that you and I might be born again to come to the house of the Lord where we can minister to others. This is an extension of worship. And so we will move into worship on earth as it is in heaven and start to look at how God is to be worshipped and find it in the Old Testament and moved again.
to the New Testament with the final focus on Easter Sunday morning in the book of Revelation where John says, and when I saw him, I fell on my face as a dead man. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the passages of Scripture that we've engaged in this morning. We thank you for the power of the Spirit of God. We thank you for the presence of the, of the Christ, the Christos. And so our prayer, Lord Jesus, is that you would move in our hearts and our lives this morning. Any here today that do not know your Savior, my prayer is that by the Spirit that you, you would draw them. You came to seek and save the lost, and you came to seek and to save the lost in order that they may worship you. Grant that today as believers. Teach us how we need to be instructed, how we need to say, as I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord because what I learned in the house of the Lord was to be good to your people. Have your sweet will, your divine way, in the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will sing a closing hymn this morning. And if the Lord has spoken to you, our prayer is that as we sing, we will sing one verse, but as we sing, if he has spoken to you, moved on your heart, and you're not certain that this Jesus, as this woman was, she wasn't certain. She didn't know who he was, but she listened, and the Spirit moved in her heart, and she was changed. If you're like that woman this morning, it's a great thing that we have this wonderful illustration contained in the Gospel of John. We're going to give you opportunity to step out from the pew where you are we'll take you to a private prayer room we can lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord you can leave here this morning with that assurance there's an assurance that comes from knowing that you have called out to Jesus in repentance and faith and he has heard you and saved you forever forever so as we sing won't you come as a child of God if the Lord is leading you into the fellowship of this church and you need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. We just looked at the instruction there in the Great Commission. Jesus said, I command you to do this. Then we encourage you to make that uh, known to this congregation this morning by saying, Pastor, I know I'm a believer, but I need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. We rejoice with that decision as a child of God. There's so much of this... I'm, I'm not going to be able to cover it. If I, I could preach from now to, to the Lord comes, or he calls me home, I'll not cover it in depth or in, in the beauty that's contained here in Scripture. However, God's not looking for perfect worshipers. He is looking for those that are penitent worshipers. What number, Brother Vance? 1.7. 1.7.